welcome to this new episode of Why Inclusion, the podcast series that curates inclusive conversations beyond celebratory dates. I'm your host, Victoire Barbain-Véron, and my guest today is Jane Andrews, who is Chief Investment Officer and the founder of Boutique Bamboo Black, which focuses, as its name hints, on Asian markets. Jane has also been rated by CityWire for a number of years, and she's currently doubly rated since March 2020. Jane, thanks for joining. Thank you, Victoire. It's a pleasure. I am thrilled to be talking to you today and to have the opportunity to unveil the insights you have into entrepreneurship as the founder of your own boutique into Asian markets, since you've worked on them for the past three decades, and into gender dynamics as well and corporate governance within these markets, and specifically within Japan, which is commonly held to have you know, taken its time to align with, with its global peers. Um, I think we should start with entrepreneurship and the founding of your boutique to introduce you to our listeners. So you founded Bamboo Black quite recently, in July 2019, after 22 years at Smith and Williamson. Uh, as you said, I'd spent 22 years at Smith and Williamson, and in that time, I've been running Asian funds. And before Smith and Williamson, as you alluded to, I have been in the markets for a long time now. And I have an all-cap strategy. So I tend to meet a lot of small mid-cap companies and a lot of really interesting entrepreneurs, very dynamic people. And from this, I got to the point in my career when I thought, yes, I would really like to do something uh, more entrepreneurial myself and to launch out on my own. And so this was something that was that was going on inside of me, something that I really felt that I'd got to that point in my career where I built the confidence to do that. And it so happens that I met Craig Bingham, the CEO of Benelong and Bembridge, mm. part of the um, Benelong family in the UK. And we chatted, we we sort of discussed the opportunity and came to the conclusion that we could work together and that this was a, um, a good way forward. And Smith and Williamson have been um, excellent. Uh, as I said, I've developed relationships over the last 22 years and their feeling was that they wanted continuity for clients. They wanted to do what was best for the client. And what has happened before when somebody leaves, mm. quite often the funds then hemorrhage and it's not in clients' best interest. Plus they were very happy with the performance and the way I'd been running the funds. And so out of that strong relationship, it was decided that I would transition and found Bamboo Black with the Smith and Williamson funds. And so you, you managed two funds, the Bamboo Black Asia Income and Growth Fund and the yes, Bamboo yes. Black Asia X Japan All Cap Fund. And launching a boutique seems to be really coveted by investors. I know that selectors um, who read CityWise Selector uh, love the stories we publish when asset managers launch their own product. But have you found it difficult to 
to go out there, especially as a woman. I know you've you've found you found those great partners um, to do it, but did you, as a woman specifically, found it difficult to do that? I think it's as I said earlier. I think it's confidence and. Mm. I think sometimes women can maybe we we sort of lack sometimes we can lack that confidence and I think it's really important that we encourage each other that we've got the skill sets I think there's the example of of a job interview and going for a job interview and that a woman will only go for the job interview if she feels that she can do 100% of the job and meet all the criteria listed whereas a man is more likely to go okay I can do 60% of it say um, I'm going to go for it and, pull it and I think it's 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 that's what I mean by having that confidence. And uh, as I said, I'd got to that point where I thought, yes, yes, I can do this. And then with the support of Bembridge and Smith and Williamson mm. and the team, it's all come together and it's it's working really, really well. And I'm, I'm really excited that I've taken that step because it, 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 it took a lot of thought to, to get to that point. And it's, yes, it's mm. really exciting to be um, in, in charge of one's own destiny to a greater extent and to be building something. I want to create a business that it's not just about me, it's about the team, it's about building something for the next generation as well. And you're working with two other managers, correct? Linda Wang Sedovitz and James Measures. Yes, that's correct. Exactly. So they have um, both brought um, interesting skill sets to the team. And Linda is a Chinese, uh, but been living in this country for a long time. So she brings her Mandarin skills. She brings also the understanding of Chinese culture. And I think that's really important as well as culturally it is very different. So Mm. you can go out there and meet companies and do supply chain checks, get on the ground and really sort of uh, get that understanding of what's going on, which I think as a foreigner, I mean, you can do, but I think the interaction, I think people open up maybe more with uh, with their sort of own nationality, uh, especially I think sometimes that can happen in 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 some countries. But it's it's really working well. James is our ESG champion, and he is really enjoying. Um, digging into the sustainability of our companies and doing lots of ESG due diligence. So how would you say that corporate governance um, has evolved and improved over time in Asia? Yes, there have been huge improvements in many countries in the region. And you've seen in places like Korea, South Korea, where the corporate governance has not always been the best, but you're starting to see uh, shareholder returns improve, corporate structures improve. And companies, a lot of companies in Asia, they have had 
a corporate governance policy, but they haven't necessarily, or an ESG policy for that matter, they haven't ne necessarily published that. But when you engage with management, you find that, yes, they, they have got an environmental, a corporate governance policy. And they're now learning that this is something they need to be more transparent about and to publish this. And you're seeing in Japan over the last, ooh, the last five, six years, you've really seen improvements in corporate governance because many Japanese companies have had very lazy balance sheets, i.e. lots of cash on the balance sheet that's just been sitting there. And when you meet them, they say, oh, well, this is for M&A, or they're quite vague about it. Right. And now they're learning that actually we should improve shareholder returns and not just sit on this cash. And so you've seen dividends improving, dividend payouts increasing. They've been doing share buybacks. And so this has been a real change and you're seeing also the restructuring of many of the large companies in Japan that have many listed subsidiaries, they call it the parent child, and you've seen them either selling these subsidiaries or buying them back in, so just cleaning up the whole right. shareholding structure. And it, it's been it's been really good to see this these changes that have been implemented. And so I think there's been huge steps in many, many countries. And I think that this will only continue. And in Japan, do you think that this uh, this improvement was also pushed by uh, the prime minister Shinzo Abe's um, mm -hmm. goal yes. to do so and the and the. I know in 2014, the Japan Stewardship Code was implemented yes. and it was modelled after the existing UK. Yes, exactly. Code. Exactly. Yeah. And that is when, when that was introduced, that was when you started to see companies, as I say, uh, taking some of these governance issues seriously. And like I said, there's been a huge transformation and that is continuing today. And the other thing, if you want to get on to maybe uh, the womanomics that Arbe-san yes. had, which, which was very encouraging, but unfortunately it hasn't really developed very far. And they had the, the goal of getting 30% of senior management positions being held by women but it's currently less than 10 percent and they've pushed out that target now to 2030. So in all the years I've been following Japan I've met two female CEOs or presidents as they call them there and so it, few and far between because culturally women tend to leave the workforce if they get married at say 25 and then they return again at 40. So they've missed the whole um, 15 years of experience. And so it's very hard for them then to catch up on that. So they tend to go more into part-time jobs. So you have seen the female participation rate really pick up in Japan, but it's been mainly into these part-time jobs. Right. So I think it's it's a matter of having the structure uh, and the infrastructure in place to support women in the workforce. So, for instance, one company, Shiseido, which is a, a cosmetics company that you might know of. I do. You know, so they have 
I think it's six out of 13 senior management are women and they have childcare facilities. So this has really helped um, women stay in the workforce. And you need to see this uh, expand. I think potentially with what we're seeing at the moment with um, COVID and more people working from home, that this could enable more flexibility. I think a lot of it comes down to flexibility that yeah. you need that, that you might go and pick up your children from school or take them to the dentist or the doctor, which is usually falls um, with, with the woman. And that you could you then work later or you work earlier or whatever there's, there's definitely ways around it and that flexibility which is happening i think globally that working um, can be more flexible and so this does give um women more chance to to sort of have a family and to continue to work mm -mm. and do you think that uh cultural habits could still be hampering progress I have um I have an anecdote actually because prior to this recording I was talking to a friend who um is uh selling teas or buying she's a she's a commercial for teas and she goes to China and Japan very mm -hmm. often um and she says that when she travels on her own she can interact fully with clients and she's listened to and, you know, but then if she travels with a man, she sort of physically disappears and she's no longer part of the interaction. Has, has this ever happened to you or has, yeah. Okay. I have had instances where the management, more so, not so much in China, because I think China is, is, has my, many more women in senior positions but I have had in Japan where they will just talk to the to the man that that might be there with me and you'll ask a question and they'll end up replying to and looking at him and so I have had the odd instance of that not too much but there have been definitely cases where that has occurred mm -mm -mm. and it wouldn't change anything that you'd be now the manager of a boutique rather than a larger asset manager would that influence your interactions at all i think it does help and yeah. the fact that you are the you know you are the senior person in the boutique and you have um, launched out and have your own sort of company and so that i think does bring um, some of status to it and they are very um, into their hierarchy for instance traditionally the most if you go into a meeting in japan and you go into the meeting room the senior most senior person sits away the furthest away from the door right so, so that is that is one of the ways you can tell who is the most senior person because they're away from the door and you tend to line up across the table so it's their one side you're the other side mm. and the host always looks out of the window and the the guests you tend to sit with your back to the window so there's all this sort of etiquette that, that goes that goes with it 
Interesting. Because when because usually I think there's a trick when you do meetings as well. If you sit with the back at the window, then the lights come in and you can there's something like psychological where the light sort of like can impress upon the person you're talking to. I know that oh, in, I didn't know that. In France, there's something to do. Um I've I've heard this um with entrepreneurs who specifically sat by like with their back by the sun so that you know lights could be shed okay oh that's interesting so maybe maybe it stems from from that <laughs> different perspective but yeah different perspective yes um and so with so if we if we agree that it's improved in japan and in asia um do you think that it's made the Jap japanese market even more appealing from a value perspective i would say that what has really changed in Japan, especially in the last two, two, three years, I would say, is mm. not so much, I mean, the value has been there and Japan has been a very cheap market. Much of the market has traded at a significant discount to book value. But what has really changed is you're seeing new entrepreneurs that have been educated overseas and have worked overseas and then they've come back to Japan and founded really interesting companies mm -hmm. for instance one of the companies that I think is really interesting and that I like is a company called BASE which is uh involved in the whole digitalization and they are like uh, Shopify but they focus on small companies, individuals, and allow them through their e-commerce platform, they allow them to set up websites. Mm -hmm. And what is very attractive about this is the fact that you don't get uh, an upfront charge, you only pay a transaction fee. So this enables individuals to set up their website. And 75% uh, recently have been individuals and I think this is just they've just seen huge growth come through mm. since obviously COVID has accelerated technology advancements and so I think this is the kind of company that has been started by somebody that's worked overseas and then another one I think that I think is really interesting is a company called Gifty and they do e-vouchers and in Japan, companies tend to give their employees vouchers, um, a voucher for Starbucks or a voucher for, you know, restaurants and things. And so with e-gifting, this mm -hmm. enables companies to do this um, electronically, which obviously, again, with what has happened with COVID, it has sped this adoption up. Uh, they also do um, for seminars, companies do a seminar and want to give a, uh, an e-sort e of product away. So they do it via an e-voucher. Mm -hmm. And in Japan, everything, well, so much is paper. 80% of uh, transactions are still done in cash. If you go to a restaurant, for instance, and you want to claim your meal, 
they basically give you the receipt plus they fill out a separate piece of paper with every all the details on it and it has to be stamped right and that's the only way that you can make your your claim for your meal so lots of paper and with the new prime minister Sugasan, he's basically um, wanting to set up a digital agency mm. and to try and bring Japan forward because Japan has really lagged in it with its digital strategy and they are now very keen to to take it forward and so it's really I find it really interesting to find these innovative uh, companies that are very dynamic and really sort of doing something that is making a big difference. Mm-hmm. When was a Gifty launched or founded? Gifty was founded, I need to double check, it's been, it's been a few years. Taking into account the current climate and pandemic, do you think, have you, have you, have you been impacted have your investment been impacted by job cuts apart from the digital area that you'd be invested in i would say that some companies but it's a lot less so in asia asia has dealt with it much better they've had experience with sars mm-hmm. and so If you fly around Asia, even normally, if you enter Hong Kong, if you enter Japan, they have temperature machine, you know, they take automatically take your temperature. And that is there all the time. I mean, that that hasn't just been installed because of COVID. So they're much more on top of things. And I think they they shut things down far quicker Mm -hmm. and just being able to deal with it in in a better way than I think that maybe we were, I think we all thought, oh, that's not coming here, that's for Asia, like SARS was much more, you know, mostly in Asia. And I think that's what we, we all thought. And then it was a real surprise when it landed on our doorstep as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say that even though the economies have been impacted, somewhere like China has seen a real sharp rebound. And yes, I think in, in some companies that are exporting uh, and where demand has fallen, that there have been some layoffs. Mm. And I think though that there's a, been a huge infantry correction and there's gonna to have to be an infantry rebuild. So I think you should start to see a a sharp rebound. I mean, for instance, uh, I was trying to buy a printer Mm. and they were the ones I wanted were all out of stock. (laughs) It was really hard to find one that um, met the criteria that I wanted. And so I think you're seeing uh, that uh, manufacturing has definitely um, rebounded. And I think that infantry rebuild will continue. Okay. 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 And how about, I'm curious about mergers because I know in some sectors, um, investors have capitalized on them in the current environment. Again, have you maximized returns thanks to mergers? I haven't had any companies. I'm just thinking through at the moment. I haven't had any companies that have been taken over uh, or 
No, I haven't. I haven't actually had that uh, in the last few months. Not since. Not since COVID started. Okay. Okay. Um, and I was looking at your website, which um, looks really great and is really pleasant to navigate. Um, and um, it features two horizon pictures, right, mm -hmm. for the two funds. So I was wondering, um, what are the horizons for the Asia Income and Growth Fund? Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you pull out those graphics because I think they are looking to the future and looking to develop the funds and to for the funds to, to grow and also to stay on top of innovation. And this is something that I think is so important. And it's, it's, it's similar, I think when you go through periods of great adversity, like we did in World War II, uh, for instance, out of that came the computer. So many things that were birthed out of adversity. And I think that's what we're going through now. And I see it really exciting for both the funds as these new, new technologies uh, get adopted and uh, companies do their R&D. And that's very important that we always sort of focus on companies that they are uh, where applicable doing the relevant R&D. And this could be a food company, for instance. It could be a food company producing something that's healthier, less sugar. Mm. Uh, it, it's not just all in the tech space. It's in, it's in so many different areas. And so looking to stay on top of that and to create a portfolio that gives investors the, the sort of best and the, the spirit of Asia. I think that is something that I've always been keen to do and not just sitting back and going, oh, well, this, this, this is where we're at. I've, I really enjoy unearthing those small mid cap uh, companies and I found that you go on a journey with management. As I said, you meet some really interesting entrepreneurs. And that for me is very, very something I really enjoy. And then seeing that as the companies uh, grow and mature and they get larger, then they tend to get picked up by the larger investment houses. Uh, but it's been really exciting to have uncovered something that wasn't necessarily on everybody's radar. And I find that very satisfying. I mean, I've done this, as you said, for a number of decades. And that's yeah. something that really keeps me interested in the job. And also the fact I enjoy Asia is culturally so different. I mean, you've got everything from, from Japan to mm. India to China to every, everywhere in between. Plus, I also do Australasia as well. So it's seeing how the region is interacting and there's there's much more um, intra-regional trade and just the, the, the whole way the supply chains work and are shifting. Uh, they might have been more in China and now that's shifting more elsewhere in the region. And just having been on this journey for many, many years, I and just seeing the development of Asia and the speed of transition uh, tends to be have been very fast, especially countries like China. I mean, Japan's more of a developed market and there mm. is much more of a consensus culture. So it takes much longer to get things shifting. But 
they do get there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's that's how I want to invest, and that's how that's what I want to put into my to to the funds that we are running. That's really important for us as a team. Mm -mm -mm. So your outlook for the remaining of the year and beyond would be positive, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think the I think the longer term outlook is I'm I'm positive. Yes, we might have setbacks along the way. I mean things don't go in a straight line. But like I said, out of the adversity and the challenges that we're all going through at the moment, I think history has shown that out of that you can see sort of some huge um, leap forward in in technology in so many areas for instance I mean isn't it this, this the fact that coal uh, it's the pressure on coal that produces a diamond I think mm. I'm right saying that aren't I so sometimes I think as the human race I think we're very res resilient like that and I think uh, we will we will come through this and that that good things will come out of the, you know, the adversity that we're that we're going through at the moment. Mm -mm -mm. And this positive attitude of yours resonates perfectly with the name of your firm, Bamboo Black, um, which hints flexibility, strengths, and um, exponential expansion as well. Yes, exactly. Uh, I wanted uh, the name to be something that you find all over Asia, uh, all over Asia Pacific, that. And uh, bamboo is something that I, I really like. I have black bamboo in my garden, for instance, but it is, it's very, um, very strong but flexible. I mean, they use it for scaffolding in parts of Asia. It grows very quickly. It's environmentally friendly. It regenerates. I have a bamboo desk, <laughs> which I'm sitting at at the moment. And also very interestingly, uh, with the Edison and the light bulb, the he eventually found that the filament that he used was charred bamboo. So we got light <laughs> mm. from that. So another innovative um, take on that as well. Thank you again so much for joining, Jane. Oh, it's uh, been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. it. It was very instructive to learn about your past and your refined expertise. Bamboo Black can be checked out on bambooblack.com. That is B-A-M-B-U Black. Um, dear listeners, thank you for listening in. If you would like to find out more episodes of the series Why Inclusion, you can go and check it out on Spotify. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.